0: Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
1: Do we really know what happened? The brother did it. The brother, that's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. We're both into like true crimes. Uh,
2: deathy, murdery thing. Yeah.
1: Maybe that should be the title. Uh, (laughs) uh, deathy,
2: murdery thing.
1: Could be that. Could be something not that, because that sucks. That's going to be our theme song. It'll be just a silent recording of me going...
2: Hi, friends. Hey. Um, <laughs> I can't believe how weird it is because we're, like, not talking to anybody.
1: But we're talking to each other. We're talking to each other. I like feel like it's a to. lot weirder if it's just you trying to do it by yourself. Yeah. There are podcasts that I listen to like that, and I feel like that must be a stranger experience. Like, just talking to a mic. At least I can, like, look at you and talk. You can. Like, it, look like, at feels me and
2: funny, like, addressing another entity that's not there.
1: Right. The disembodied other of whom, whoever actually li- is going to listen to this. Anywhere between zero and uh, more than zero people <laughs> we will see. You know
2: what? You know what? You're right. You're right. You know. You're right.
1: What's that Drake song? Started from the bottom? Now we're here. Now we're still at the bottom. <laughs> Someday we'll be somewhere else <laughs> that we can look back on. <laughs> Do you want me to go first, or should you go first? This is Mystery Murdery Thingy, by the way. Okay,
2: so... You, That's
1: what the podcast is yeah. called.
2: We're going to we talk about... Excited. I'll be like, are you doing a Mystery Murdery Thingy? And you you would be like, yeah, mine's kind of a mystery... Is it a mystery?
1: Murdery. Is it a murdery? Is it just kind I, of a thingy? Yes! Yes. and in that way we can literally talk about anything that we want to. Yay. <laughs> it's either a mystery or but it's always kind of a mystery, I think.
2: Yes, that's the that's what
1: Because we were at. talking about some possible future topics earlier and yeah. there's like weird sounds, like that weird sound in the arctic that no one knows about or knows like what the fuck is it? And there's the Cuban acoustic attacks that like again, like what the hell is going on with this? (laughs) There's, like, so many things like that I read about in the news, and it's like, oh, I want to know more.
2: Yeah, how do people not know this? Right. It, like, needs to, I don't know.
1: I'm just fascinated by the fact that there's so many things that we don't know what the fuck it is. (laughs) Like, gravity. Like, really, like, if you look into it, like, physicists, theoretical physicists, don't know on a basic level how gravity works. And yet... Like, no one's flying off the face of the earth, right? Like, we all understand intuitively, like, it exists. But it's still one of those great mysteries. Cool. Like the mysteries we're talking about today.
2: Yeah. Okay, um... <laughs>
1: I think, um...
2: Who went first? Who went I went first, first
1: last, time? last time. You did? Yeah, but I don't think that really should matter, necessarily. I think we should just decide. I'm doing a murdery Mystery.
2: I. You're doing
1: more of a mystery, mystery.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I should start
1: because yours is kind of lighter than mine. Although, I mean, not really because it's still people dying, (laughs) but at at least they're not getting killed by other people. Okay, fine.
2: Do it.
1: Okay, so. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to talk about the assassination of Boris Nemtsov. Some I'm just, like, uh, obsessed with assassinations. It's like, what I so like, always keep thinking about doing.
2: How important do you have to be to be considered an assassination instead of a
1: murder? Right. Yeah, we were talking about that. Like, what exactly is an assassination? And that does feel like it's the basic criterion. That Like, your importance and then, like, the fact that you were killed. That is, like, how you measure whether something's an assassination or just simply a murder. And that it was done for, like, a political purpose. So... Which is definitely the case with Boris Nemtsov.
2: So, Beyoncé... If she were to be killed, would it be a murder or assassination?
1: No, because I feel like an assassination has to have some sort of political purpose.
2: Okay, that makes sense. I feel
1: like that's kind of what is part of the definition of an assassination. I'm not sure that that's the case exactly, but I definitely... Think about it that way in my mind.
2: Well, when I think about it, um, John Lennon was assassinated to me. I
1: guess people do say that, don't they? I, yeah. I really don't know. I mean, it's literally a semantic argument, so. Okay, I don't sorry. Know. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> should go back. <laughs> okay. That's okay. We can cut stuff out because this is not um, live. My, my mom, or no, Susie, she was like, is it, is it live? Is it going out to the world right now? <laughs>
2: we were like, no, no! So
1: that would be a lot more intense doing a live radio show. I could do it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna talk about the assassination of Boris Nemtsov uh, who was killed in um, February of 2015. So it's a pretty recent one. And... um I'll just kind of start by talking about where I got my information, because we're going we're gonna to do that, I think. Um, David Satter at the National Review, Alec Loon, Sean Walker, Chris Johnston, and Luke Harding at The Guardian. Uh, an Al Jazeera story, that didn't have a, a writer who was mentioned. Uh, Sarah Rainsford at the BBC, Joshua Yaffa at The New Yorker, Owen Matthews at Newsweek, and Yvonne... Nechaparenko at the New York Times so I just read like a a bunch of like news articles basically
2: you have way more sources than I do
1: (laughs) that's okay I (laughs) have like four but you have that one scientist who like looked into it mainly
2: yeah so okay keep
1: going um he was 55 years old when he died and he was an opposition political leader in uh Russia And he was someone who kind of came from the mainstream politics in Russia. He used to be the deputy prime minister under Boris Yeltsin, um, who was the the president, you know, I'm pretty sure right before Putin came in in 2000. And he was part of, like, the Duma, which is, like, their parliament. And he was, like, a big-time politician, you know, someone that, like, people would know. You know, if you said, like, John McCain in America, like, everyone knows who John McCain is. People are just generally pretty uninformed. And in Russia, people are very aggressively disinformed. And I think that that's kind of, like, the big, maybe, like, idea or um, lesson that I get from looking at the, the assassination of Boris Nemtsov, the way in which, in the Russian system, it's actually pretty easy... And it's happened, like, a number of times in a very similar way to this. That someone dies who it's pretty convenient for Putin and his regime to have dead, mm-hmm. right? Someone that they would rather be dead than mm-hmm. alive for whatever reason. They're exposing wrongs that they're doing, etc. And it just so happens that that person is killed by someone who the Putin-led Kremlin also doesn't like. Who then they prosecute for that murder, and this is sort of a recurrent theme, and it's, it's, again, a very convenient way when you control the press and you control the justice system and yes. you control the army and so everything else, right, where you can just kind of allow someone to die and then allow the, their murderers to get away with it, and it's possible to do that. Now, whether that occurred in this situation or not, or any particular situation, and I can't say for sure, obviously. And I think you always have to be, like, very careful, which is also part of this, to, like, attribute things particularly to one party or another. But, but anyway, I just kind of wanted to give that little primer at the beginning, because I think it's important to know the context. You know a little bit of, like, how Russia works and why no, 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 this kind of thing could, could happen there. Uh, so Boris Nemtsov was 55 at the time of his death. Like I said, the former deputy prime minister of Russia under Boris Yeltsin. But it transitioned into being an opposition political figure uh, in Putin's Russia, of which there are not that many. Because, again, they kind of tend to end up dead. Um, yeah. And he, um, in the latter part of his life, wrote reports uh, detailing corruption inside Putin's inner circle, uh, the so-called oligarchs in Russia.
2: And he would make that, like, public?
1: Um, How do you so- know all this? Just a bit reading the news and, you know, kind of paying attention to what's happening in Russia. I think it's important because, you know, partly they're one of the other, you know, sort of big powers in the world. Although economically they're really not anymore, but politically they're still a big player. And, of course, because our current president, you know, sort of seems to take his political cues in some ways from Putin
0: Mm. and
1: people of his ilk. Boris Nemtsov, like I said, was one of the best-known opposition politicians in Russia. Uh, hours before he was killed, he had gone on a Moscow radio station to encourage people to attend an opposition march that was going to happen that Sunday. Uh, he was killed um, late on a Friday night. Um, his murder happened at 11.30, 11.31 p.m., uh, local time in Moscow. According to the prosecution, just before midnight on February 27th, 2015, uh, Boris Nemtsov and his uh, Ukrainian girlfriend, uh, who was a model, 23 years old, named Anna Duritskaya, were walking on a bridge near St. Basil's Cathedral, um, actually also overlooking the Kremlin itself, right in the center of Moscow. So this is, you know... A extremely heavy, heavily fortified area, which has, you know, over a dozen cameras pointing at it. Um, Damn. Just keep keep that in mind for for kind of what we'll we'll get into in a little bit in terms of like what we know and don't know, and the control of information in this um, invest in the investigation that ensues from this. Um, according to the prosecution, Nemtsov was shot six times by a man named Zaur Dadaev. Who was a former officer, uh, officer excuse me, in what's um, informally known as the Sever, which is a paramilitary organization based in Chechnya, which is sort of beholden to the, um, the leader of, of Chechnya, who we'll, we'll talk about later. Um, he's one of the people that some factions think was kind of responsible for this. Um, other people were surveilling the area who were working, the prosecution says, with Dadaev. There was also a driver and kind of support people. And according to the prosecution, they had been surveilling Nemsov for um, several months, kind of planning this murder out. Wow. The... Um, Sixth, one one of the alleged members of this conspiracy to uh, murder Boris Nemtsov was named Bezlan Shivanov, and he was blown up with a grenade when they tried to go and capture him to what? arrest him. The prosecution claims that he blew himself up with the grenade because he didn't want to be caught, and, you know, whatever, as a final, you know, fuck you to the police, but... I think there's also an alternate explanation, which is that he was killed by the police with a grenade, which I think seems just as likely to me. But again, we'll never know exactly, but that was definitely a weird thing that happened during this, this whole um, investigation that's, and thing.
2: That's their government? Like, that's how everybody's acting? That's so crazy.
1: You know, it it really, yeah, it really is. It, it's It's pretty insane how the justice system works and... Russia and how um, much of a control the Kremlin and Putin really have on it, that they can do these kind of things and just kind of with carte blanche, right? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no murder. The murder weapon was never found, um, but they they deduced from the shell casings that it was a 9mm pistol. Yeah. A lawyer for the family, for the Nemsov family actually agrees with the prosecution that those were the people who did the crime. Although we'll, we'll get into a little bit how the main um, perpetrator, according to the prosecution to die of probably was not actually even there because he has a solid alibi for where he was at the exact time when it happened. So we, we know that it's not perfect, but the lawyer for the family agreed that, these were the people who did it, and that this is basically how it happened, but that who ordered it was still not known. And, you know, kind of the reason behind it, the motive behind it, was being obscured. So that, that was kind of his um, input into it. His name is uh, Vadim Perkharov, and he called for investigating Ramzan Katerov. Who's Ooh. the the leader of Chechnya? Who I, I mentioned earlier, okay. who was like kind of the nominal leader of this paramilitary group that these men were a part of, okay. or at least some of them were a part of. There's so
2: many names and
1: there's there's a lot of Russian a lot names, of people. a lot of people, a lot of players, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous That's a reference to the Big Lebowski. It's cool. Um, okay. <laughs> All right no donnie no <laughs> that
2: was bad right i've never even seen the big lebowski and i know it was bad
1: <laughs> i i would, i would fuck you i would fuck you okay keep going keep going we believe in nothing nothing stop but the basic outline of it is that Nemsov was killed while he was walking with his girlfriend along this bridge at 11 30 p.m right in the heart of moscow and the prosecution says that it was these Chechnyan, um, basically rebels, who killed him possibly because they were offended that he had written a blog post about the Charlie Ebdo um, incident. Wow. Which, uh, if, if you recall, was um, an incident in which the satirical magazine Charlie Ebdo was attacked. Um, because they had... Uh, oh, I
2: remember that. Yeah, they
1: had they, they printed a uh, cartoon which depicted the Prophet Muhammad, which, yeah, of course,
2: I remember to that. a
1: certain section of Islam is forbidden. you know, um, to the nth degree, to the degree that they... I can't even remember. I think they bombed the Charlie Hebdo offices, even. I, I think it, it was, like, a big, big thing. But anyway, he had uh, written a blog post about that, And that was the prosecution's uh, sort of attempt at um, creating a plausible motive for why they had done this. Now, the issue, or one of the issues with that is that they apparently had been surveilling Boris Nemsov for many, many months before that happened. Oh. So the connection—also, none of them is particularly apparently religious— According to the sources that I was reading, so the notion that they would have done this as some sort of you know re- religious, um, you know, act of uh, defiance b- b- against the Russian opposition, it doesn't make any sense. That's that's not really like a plausible argument of the case. But that's that was what the official line kind of ended up being. The Nemtsov family really kind of pins it on this one particular person named Ruzlan Goromeev, who is the commander of that police unit in which Dadaev, who the prosecution said actually pulled the trigger to kill Boris Nemtsov, okay. that's the um the commander of, of okay. his unit. And basically the story from the family's perspective is that the murder was ordered by um, Garamayev and kind of set up through this paramilitary unit, and that it was probably ultimately ordered by Ramzan Kadarev, uh, Kaderev, um, if that's how you say that, uh, who's the leader of Chechnya. And why he did this, again, it's a little unclear. Did he do it because he knew that Putin would like that, and he's, you know, very K- uh, Kadyrov and, and Putin are like very close. Kadyrov called him like a father to him, and Putin gave him a medal like a few months after this happened for quelling the opposition in Chechnya, which has been kind of recurrent in Russian history for <laughs> for many many years. So they they have a lot of connections. Or did Kadyrov do it because he wanted to embarrass Putin? and say you don't really control me even though i'm associated with you because look i can kill an opposition figure in literally in sight of the kremlin and i hold you know the real power here because i hold the military power and kind of reminding him that even though you're my benefactor you don't control what i'm gonna do so that's another kind of idea of how this may have played out
2: so it could be he got caught in the middle of something
1: that's exactly that's exactly right it was
2: all for power like a show of power
1: exactly and he was
2: like the guy
1: he would he was used as um or his killing, yeah, was used as kind of a show of power. I think that's that's a very incisive analysis. Okay, so there was kind of a parallel investigation that was undertaken by this guy named Igor Merson, who was a lawyer in St. Petersburg. He was actually kind of an auto-accident reconstructionist specialist kind of person, kind of very similar to that guy that we saw in the documentary... Um, there's something wrong with aunt Diane. Mm -hmm. You remember that guy? He was like a auto, I think this is kind of basically the same kind of guy, but he, he was in St. Petersburg, Russia. Oh,
2: speaking of that, we have to do corrections.
1: We'll do that at the end. We'll do
2: that. Uh, yeah.
1: At the end. Okay. Yeah. And he used two videos, um, and other ones from the surrounding area, two videos that were actually recording the bridge itself and other ones from the surrounding area to reconstruct what actually happened.
2: So, they can technically see everything that happened? Yes, of those cameras. And
1: no. So, there were a number of CCTV cameras that were set up around the bridge and the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. There there're just a lot of cameras in Moscow itself and obviously mm-hmm. near the Kremlin and this like famous cathedral. There's a lot of cameras around the cameras that were all recording on the bridge were i've heard i heard in some sources either not working that day which seems implausible or that they were simply those tapes were impounded by the government and they were and they were certainly never released they're no one ever saw them yeah they were probably destroyed i would imagine Um, apparently there were also guards posted, like, on both sides of the bridge. So really, if anything, you know, would happen there, the police were, like, right there. I think that's important to note and to kind of keep in mind with this, that there were cars driving by, there were police, you know, basically a stone's throw away. This was not done in the dead of night in some back alley, this was done in the middle of a crowd, basically, with cars streaming by. Holy shit.
2: So it, was it, like, a sniper shot?
1: No. It was It was not at all a sniper shot. It was done from pretty close up, actually. What?
2: And they, like, don't... Nobody saw anything? And even if People they did see anything, they can't right. say anything, right?
1: Maybe. Maybe. The people who did say, see things are not inclined to say. So after the, the shooting happened, this, these two cars kind of stopped and backed up. And uh, it's not clear who they were or why they did this, but they, they were kind of like blocking the traffic to go around the murder. The crime scene, right, that had just oh, happened. Oh,
2: so they were, like, planted there?
1: That's what it seems like. And it seems like there were a number of elements that were planted around.
2: Spotters? Spotters?
1: Right, right. And blockers. Um, and there, were, there was a uh, street cleaning truck that basically served the same role. That it was just actually, there? It was just there. And it, it drove slowly by just as Boris Nemtsov himself was being shot. And there was another guy um, who actually just walked over there to Boris Nemtsov as he lay there dying, shot him four times.
0: What the fuck?
1: This is not Dadaev, right? The, again, he did not actually do this. I mean, we know that. We know that he did not shoot him. So uh, Nemtsov and his girlfriend were walking across the bridge. There's a guy who um, basically emerged. Um, onto the bridge from, like, a little walkway, ran past them, shot twice. One of them hit Boris Nemtsov. He then went down, bleeding, you know, dying. Um, his girlfriend, you know, ran over to that truck, and then this other guy walks over and shoots him again when he's on the ground. Yeah. Now, that man was never prosecuted. None of these people who were involved in that situation, in, in, like, driving those trucks or the people who walked up, none of those people were ever identified or, you know, none of them appeared at the trial to give testimony. None of that happened. And this is where, you know, we... we, Again, it's clear that this is an institutionalized mystery, that this is a cover-up from the moment that it happened. Um, like perhaps, Pat Tillman. Like Pat Tillman, exactly. Um, except that, you know, at least in America, eventually we usually get the truth. <laughs> in Russia, you really can't ever hope to get the truth. Oh, that guy's name was Evgeny Molitic. Who? The one who walked up to him and, and just I shot thought, him when he was on I the street. I thought you said they weren't identified. Um, he was identified. Okay. I don't know why exactly or whatever really happened with him because it seems very strange that he would have just literally walked up to him, shot him on the ground and then like just walked away. He was also wearing earphones that he said he was listening to music, but people think he was like getting instructions on uh, what was happening. So basically, the lawyer came to the conclusion that this really could only have been done by a highly trained, you know, military unit. That this this was a an, a coordinated military. So that's attack. the main argument. That's the main argument that comes out of that. Now, whether that was a military unit being directed by Ramzan Katarov or if it was a military unit being directed by Vladimir Putin, or someone else you know, we don't really know, but clearly this was not just, you know, some sort of, um, you know, random murder or something.
2: So are there American reporters out there like looking at all this shit and trying not yeah. to get killed?
1: Oh, there definitely are. Yeah, there definitely are. Um, cause I'm
2: like, how do we even know all of this?
1: Yeah. You know, some of it is because those two videos that, um, did emerge were posted on the internet before they could be destroyed by the Kremlin. So those got out. And once it's on the internet... It's
2: on the internet. It's on the
1: internet. They really, I mean, they can shut down what people can see in their country, but they can't really shut down what people can see in other countries. And there were investigations done, I believe, by outside bodies as well, which sometimes happens, like the European um, Court of Human Rights, the UN, you know, organizations like that. Um, but definitely also, like, the BBC, the Guardian, the New York Times. I mean, those sources, the Newsweek, like, that I was talking about earlier. And a lot of the stuff that I got that was really backing up the notion that this was directed by the Kremlin, that that's really what happened, um, came from uh, an or- the article from the National Review. And it, it made a pretty good argument. And, like I said, one of the weirdest things is that did I have is shown on video going into his place of residence prior to the murder happening Mm. and coming out of his place of residence after the murder happened. So he, he could not have done it. He's literally on video in a different place when the murder happened. So this man that they prosecuted are sending to jail. Like I was just reading, they're apparently, you know, just about to transfer him to prison for the next 20 years he has a solid alibi that is confirmed by video
2: that's fucked up
1: yeah so you know i think if, if there's any better um uh, illustration that the justice system in russia is completely broken i think it's that that, that you, it is dispositive that you are not the person who committed a crime and yet the system finds you guilty and you are sent to prison. So what is, what is reality? Is reality the truth, or is reality what is effectual in the end? And it's
2: starting!
1: 1984, you know? I it's mean, that's starting! I mean, the question, right? If you can bend reality to your will, then that maybe that is reality. <laughs> or at least you can get everyone to say that 2 plus 2 equals 5.
2: Okay. Um... My turn. Yes. So I'm talking about spontaneous human combustion, and if it's real or not, um,
1: I believe it is real.
2: It is. It's definitely real.
1: I've I've looked at the evidence. Or I've come real. to a conclusion. It's real. Is it real though? It
2: is real.
1: It seems that way, right? Anyway, you tell me. You, tell, through, you tell me about it.
2: I did. I did research on. Here's okay. So there was. I could have gone deep deep into this. There's so much. There's over 150 cases of it reported. They all have this, about the same types of features on what, what's going on, and I'll talk about that later. But, it's... Oh, I could have gone so deep in this. But I didn't I'm, know there were that many. Yeah. I'm convinced that it's real, simply of what this biologist, Brian J. Ford, studied. hmm Okay. Um... So, spontaneous combustion occurs when an object, and in case of spontaneous human combustion, a person bursts into flame from a chemical reaction within, apparently without, without being ignited by an external heat source. So, boom. Right. So, before I get into how it could happen, I'm going to talk about one of the classic cases of who it happened to, Mary Reeser. So an early morning in July of 1951, her, la- her landlady, uh, pansy carpenter carpenter, went to deliver a telegram to Mary Reeser, but when she touched the door handle, it was too hot to grasp, so she called so she called the police, and what they found was, was Mary, but she was reduced to literal ashes, but her left leg. Part of her skull, which had shrunken, part of the spine, and the springs of her chair were the only things left. But there was no fire damage to the rest of the house. To fully cremate, and to fully cremate a body, you need twenty-five hundred to three thousand degree heat, and it takes four hours. Yeah. Wow. So it's bizarre. There were no witnesses to the fire or even the smell of something burning and the only potential witness could be Pansy Carpenter and she said she said she what was it around five she, she smelled smoke around 5am but she thought it was her water pump overheating so she just turned it off and then went to bed
1: was this in an apartment complex?
2: I suppose
1: okay that's the impression that I'm getting
2: yeah so if, if there were like a ring. fire
1: you definitely would know
2: exactly and she she was de- she was like delivering her mail to her right her landlady. So I think it was. Um, so the FBI ruled that Mary Reeser was a victim of what's called the Wick effect. So this is part of the science of it. The Wick effect is the partial destruction of human body by fire. When the clothing of the victim soaks up melted human fat, and it acts—it acts like the wick of a candle. So, basically, the cloth—the clothed human body acts like an—in like quote inside-out candle with the fuel source, which is the human fat, inside inside the wick, the clothing of the victim. So, like a per—you know—a person. Right. Hence, there's a continuous supply of fuel in the form of melting fat, like just seeping into the clothes. And so, Mary was a known user of sleeping pills, so the hypothesis is that, the FBI's hypothesis, which is completely wrong and almost proven, is that she fell asleep in her chair while smoking her cigarette and had set fire to her nightclothes. Here's the problems. Why was there no struggle? Nobody heard any screaming. Why was her skull shrunken instead of expanded? And that was also something that was seen on other cases as well. And how come, yeah, how come there was no screaming? Um, Why were certain body parts left totally intact, like her entire left leg was there?
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's consistent with an open flame.
2: Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Um, what causes something like this to happen and can it be avoided? So like I said earlier, there are 350 or not 350, 150 cases reported and so we have like three main characteristics of what could possibly be uh, spontaneous human combustion. So the surroundings are not drastically damaged like the newspaper next to the chair mm-hmm. was fine.
1: And yeah, like you were looking at some pictures of this earlier, right? Weird pictures, yeah. Very strange. I've seen
2: They're pretty cool. Some of
1: those, yeah.
2: It looks but, like it looks like when people on Halloween put out limbs like in the in the grass to make it look like it's coming out of a grave or something, that's right. what it looks like. Except the grass is ash.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then like the whole area around it is just like untouched.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's it's the so craziest part. Bizarre. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the surrounding is not drastically damaged, and there's no visible source of fire, and the body part there were body parts left intact. So, the possible causes, um, although these are unproven, it's predicted that static electricity, bacteria, stress, obesity. Or alcohol consumption are all reasons the body can ignite so quickly but then what a lot of people who um, didn't believe in this type of phenomena said how can that happen when the human body is 70% water but that's where it get right that's where it gets to the the chemical reaction and why the the fats are so important right so I got a lot of this information from a biologist named Brian J. Ford. He did a lot of experimenting on it. He was one of the only scientists that's done a pretty solid experiment and a successful one, in my opinion. He does a really good job explaining it. Um, I read his entire report. It's like a 10-page PDF, and I read the whole thing.
1: And he doesn't seem like... A kook right I mean he's like a legitimate no i i don't think so
2: I don't think so at right? all. yeah but um so the so the chemical reaction so basically your internal fluids turn to gas, and then the melted fat burns your organs and then your bones, so body fat and methane gas are are flammable parts of the body right and uh, he focuses on acetone as being the source of the fire and um, a lot of other things uh, that were thought of would just be alcohol, like it happened because of the alcohol but
1: that was the accelerant right, Yeah, but that, so the acetone is created in your stomach he's saying yes okay, that's yes. what I was thinking
2: yes but um I kind of, like, skipped over that simply because there's a lot of, a lot of more, you said it even like more really, science things right. going on. So I was like, okay.
1: Suffice it to say, there's, like, a fuel source within your, but, see, that's crazy because I didn't realize that it's literally your body burning from the inside out. Like, yeah. the fire starts, like, in the center <gasps> of your body. Like a
2: popcorn kernel. Sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like a human popcorn kernel.
2: That's it. What if there was just a giant piece of popcorn there?
1: (laughs) Then it would be Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And everybody, like, came and just took a piece, was like... Or Downsizing. That's the movie,
2: Feet Butter!
1: Movie that we shouldn't have gone to. (laughs) Yeah.
2: We still gotta see
1: Molly's Game. Molly's Game, yeah. Gotta see that.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah, Acetone is being the source of the fire. And so I'm gonna go... I highlighted parts of his... His um, his actual one of his um main reports. So I'll probably post these pictures um with, I'll probably just post them on the page because they're pretty crazy. Um, They
1: are of dead human bodies. Yeah, it is. So you know, they are human bodies. Pretty gruesome, but it's
2: also mostly ash and smoke.
1: It also does not look real. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't. Doesn't it
2: look like a Halloween decoration?
1: It literally does.
2: That's what, he, right.
1: Yeah, no, I, that's exactly right, for sure.
2: Okay, so, so he says, when reviewing the victims of SHC, I discern a single factor that they might all have in common. So some, but not all, were alcoholics. Some, but not all, were overweight. And some, but not all, were old and enfeebled. And some, but not all, smoked cigarettes. But they all have seem to have been unwell Hmm.
1: so I didn't realize they weren't all obese me neither I thought they literally were all obese nope that's really interesting
2: um and okay so this kind of answers your question about where did the acetone come from um but it's always present in the body in small amounts and it can be used as an energy source by living cells and so he kind of gets into the Krebs cycle, and that once right. I re- I read Krebs cycle, I like had flashbacks to freshman year of high school. Right, I was like, i have learning the Krebs heard cycle. of that. Right, that was like oh I my could God. not
1: tell you what at all it is. It's
2: something super I, microscopic. I
1: do recall it being a thing I've heard before.
2: <laughs> so
1: my cousin Joey could tell you because he's a doctor. That's awesome. Yes.
2: Okay. Furthermore. Look at these pictures, right, of his experiments. So this, okay, so this is this is his exper his his experiment.
1: his experiment. He
2: did two. Mm-hmm. So this first one. So what he focuses on is acetone as being the source of the fire. And oh, I thought I talked about this. I guess I didn't. Okay.
1: Are you reading it? You're totally reading it. I'm, I'm just interested.
2: No, I don't want you to read it yet, because okay. I'm supposed to tell it okay. to you, and tell then you can read it later. Me. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay. So, he says, I have written about my theory without testing whether it works. All I've done so far is test a sample of tissue that had been soaked in ethanol for a week. It stubbornly failed to ignite, and therefore, this experiment disproves the alcohol theory. Okay. I have now taken time off to retrieve one of my specimens. A portion of poor, that? Does that say poor kind? Poor
1: Porcine, yeah.
2: Porcine abdominal from a, wall. From a pig. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. As thick as your finger and stored in acetone. It was secured in a makeshift chair cut from aluminum foil and a high definition video camera was set there to record what would happen. A small butane flame was held near the specimen, and he says, To my immense relief, it bur- it burst uh, obligingly into flames. The predominantly blue fire burned brightly and occasionally, and occasional flames jetted out laterally from the flesh. This was similar to the jets of flame that were seen spurting from the leg of Professor Hamilton of Nashville University, which is one of the cases... And in the news night program of BBC television in 1986, a victim of SHC was described by fire officer Jack Stacey as having blue flames jetting out from the skin like a blow, blow lamp. This is exactly what, was, uh, what they observed in this ex- experiment. So what remained was just a blackened mass of ash after it. Um, so the little chair was left standing in a liquid pool of melted body fat, which solidified into solid yellow mass. gross, that glued uh, the the chair to the base of the the floor. The experimental it says experimental stage, but like the floor. Right. And so that's also consistent with the descriptions. Which regularly reported liquid fat soaking the floor beneath the charred remains of the body.
1: Which is part of why I've always... Because I've heard of that before. And I always sort of knew that it was connected with the fat. Yeah. somehow.
2: Somehow. Okay, the next part. The second experiment he did. Um, he had a substitute body that was 112 scale of a model human. It was made from tissue and it was cut to shape. And... Uh... It was infused with acetone for five days and then they uh, clothed all the garments and made a scale and had a person sit there. It was automated tissue. made out of tissue, sorry. And so once all of that was ready, a gas layer was brought close and there was a burst of flame as the vapor caught fire and the whole body was enclosed in a fireball and the spectacle was uncannily like the descriptions in scientific literature and so that was the clear is the clearest demonstration of human combustion experiment that anybody has ever done so after he says after a minute the chair burned through and the flaming model fell to the floor the conflagration was fed by the pool of liquid fat That was forming on the carpet. So within five minutes, the model was mostly consumed and turned to ash. And then 16 minutes later, there was a sound of an explosion and the ceramic tile shattered. And then he he talks about how there was only enough acetone really for something to burn for a minute or two. But um, but
1: extremely intensely,
2: Yeah, yeah. The burning pool of fat on the carpet just continued to build up:
1: So if anything, to me, this shows that you can create a hot enough situation to turn um, you know, fat tissue or, or meat into ash. And also preserve, basically, the area around it. Uh, yeah. You know, that that's, like, a, something that can possibly happen under these circumstances. Yeah. Because to me, that seems like one of the weirdest parts of um, spontaneous human combustion. That it's, like, you know, disintegrated human body and then, like, perfectly fine chair. It's so sitting bizarre. Sitting around. I mean, if you see the pictures of this, it, it is, it's, it's such, like, a fuck. It, it, that's one of the reasons I think why it's so easy to distance yourself from those photos because it's like, this cannot possibly be real, <laughs> but it, it is. <laughs> and in fact, this guy's like basically showing it experimentally.
2: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to send this to you cause I know you would like to read it. Cool. You're already reading it. <laughs> okay. I'm so
1: hungry. What else do you have?
2: That's it. Okay. Do you have any questions? Um, Anything why talk about it? did
1: the Beatles break up? Yoko. Um, why? <laughs> Just why? I don't know. What's the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything? 42. And now what's the question?
2: I didn't get that (laughs) far. I
1: didn't get that far. I didn't get that far. Spoiler alert. No! You never find out. (laughs) Oh, you don't? No. (laughs) You did good. You also did an excellent job.
2: I know. I'm just kidding. Thank you. (laughs)
1: So humble.
2: (laughs) So, like we said earlier, we're going to do corrections to the last episode, um, so I talked about the 2009 Taconic Parkway crash. Um, if you recall, and if you don't recall, and you're listening to this for the first time and you didn't listen to the first episode, then you're a cheater and you need to go back. So, um, tragically, uh, a woman named, uh, Di- Aunt Di- we're just calling her, her Auntie Anne. She, um went the wrong way on a highway and uh, ended up killing herself and also seven other people. And four of those people were her, her ch- children, were children.
1: Um, Not her children.
2: One of them was her son. Who one was of a them sur- was her son. Yeah, who's a survivor. And then three of them were her um, nieces. And I talked about how Jay, one of the relatives, was the mother of the three children who were killed but that's not true. Jay we think is an in-law is Danny's sister and Danny is the husband of Diane. Now, I thought that she was the sister because she was heavily featured in the documentary. But then Mario and I watched the, we watched the documentary like right after and I was like, "Wow, look at all the stuff I got wrong." But that was that was like That was the main thing that in fact the mother and father of those three children who were killed aka Danny's um, brother and sister-in-law declined to comment for the entire documentary they weren't interviewed at all Um, they declined Um, so we don't really have any information on their perspective at all and then the other thing was that I think we both talked about this in that you were like, how long did she go on the wrong way? Right. And uh I said it was a long time. But what I wanted to correct was once Diane left the campground to her home, it would have taken thirty five minutes. That thirty five minute drive ended up being four hours. So that was what take what was taking so long and part of the mystery was what the hell was she doing and we have very little information about that because everybody in the crash except for the five-year-old boy is dead Um, what I meant to say was that when she was traveling the wrong way on the one-way expressway she went for about 1.4 miles it was about five minutes yeah
1: uh, probably less than oh, that. Oh, no, it would have been much less because she was traveling at a high rate of speed, you know, 70, 80 miles an hour 80. for a mile and a half approximately, so that would have taken a minute or less.
2: Okay, that's what it was. Um, yeah, yeah, that's about it.
1: And I think the... I just wanted to answer your question from the last episode about Letitia Tarot. She was 29 at the time of her death.
2: Oh, so she was young. So she, she did all this young. spy stuff. Yes, and was only 29.
1: She lived hard. She died young. Damn. She she was quite a figure.
2: We are here for a fun time, not a long time.
1: That is true. Break. That is true.
2: Good job by you, Chloe. Oh my God! I thought we weren't gonna do this. <sighs>
1: no. Nope. Every
2: time. All right. Yeah. Um. Good job by me. Yep. Yeah. All right. Bye, y'all. Okay. Bye, bye.